Hi, this is Mike Edelhart. I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of new companies, uh, new sections of folks' uh, careers and self-development, new ideas in science, and sometimes even a little glimpse of the future. And I'm here today with Christopher Jane of Proper Good. And you became a portfolio company CEO just a little while ago. You're one of our most recent uh, investments. Indeed. So proper good. What's yep. proper about it? What's good about it? What are you? Uh, <laughs> uh, what are you doing? Seems like a good place to start. So yes, um, in, in short, uh, proper good makes 90 second meal solutions for for busy lifestyles. So the idea being, we essentially cater to whether you're ketogenic, you're plant based, you're gluten free, or, or some other specific lifestyle need. We make 90 second meal solutions. So you literally tear the top off, put it in the microwave, and in 90 seconds, you have an absolutely delicious meal. One of the key things that's different is that we're actually shelf stable. So you no fridge needed, meaning you can obviously take that meal to work or on a commute or while traveling and still stick to your, your health and diet needs. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. And we uh, invested because we're impressed with you and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about you, but also yep. all of our research had shown a, a really growing interest in this kind of food that folks want to control their food. They want to know that it's going to be there when they need it. They want it to be healthy. They want it to be responsive. They want a whole bunch of things. And when we uh, came upon what you're doing, it seemed to hit every single one of those points and everybody on the team who tried it liked it. So shelf stable, how do you get food shelf stable? I can understand certain kinds of things being shelf stable, but you're starting with basically soups, if you want to call it that, or broths. So how do you make a broth shelf stable? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So as you said, we make soups and broths and, and chilies and a lot of other kind of wider meal solutions to come. But we, we started with soups. And what's interesting is that I think most people think of shelf stable as kind of that end of the world Armageddon, you know, in a can, it will last for 10 years in a bunker type food. And there's a difference between goes off in two days and can last 10 years, right? So all our shelf stable meals are shelf stable for up to eight months. And then the way we do it is Minimal processing is actually a very similar cooking process to a sous vide. So we essentially cook each pouch individually. It's a, a sealed pouch of you know seven layers of oxygen barrier and so on and so forth. Um, but what that allows you to do is get about an eight-month shelf life, which is more than enough for most needs. Meanwhile, having an ingredient list that read as if you made it yourself, right? There's nothing you can't pronounce. There's nothing that sounds sketchy. It's all clean, no added sugar and so forth. So that combination of pack format with a, a gentle kind of process gives you just enough shelf stability to really fit all of the needs without lasting for, you know, five years or something. I mean, we've talked about it in getting to know one another during the investment process, but how did you come to be doing this? So there you were growing up in some small town somewhere thinking, I'm going to be the shelf-stable broth king of the universe. So <laughs> you won't be the, you're not the first to ask that. I'm sure you won't be the last. I mean, it's certainly been an interesting path. I, I grew up in the UK and, and studied finance there. And I moved to the US right after undergraduate graduation. So I moved to the US about 10 years ago now. I actually landed in Bozeman, Montana which is where we started our first food brand. So that was more condiment focused, seasoning sources, things like that. Uh, I ran that for about five years. Then I decided to go and do my MBA. I, so I stepped away from that company. And during the MBA, I honestly realized that I love consumer products. I love natural foods. I think there's huge opportunity. And it's a really fun industry to be in. Right? I, I enjoy creating good for you products. 
did a lot of research and realized, yeah, that, that kind of premium shelf stable area is, is simply not a category in the US. It, it certainly is in other parts of the world. But in the US, you kind of have the brand you'd be familiar with in the can formats, the big conglomerates at the very low end of the market. And at the very high end, you have ultra premium frozen meal delivery, which is a totally different usage occasion. There's nothing catering in that in that middle market, um, which I thought was a big opportunity. And you know, I had five years experience running a food brand and critically learning not not to do. Um, so we started Proper Goods, um, yeah, about 15 months ago. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So you've got a really interesting backstory in that you, uh, uh, well, the Southernism is you got rode hard and put up wet on your uh, <laughs> on your first startup. So what happened there? And then you really committed yourself to kind of remaking yourself into a, what you felt was a more prepared, more effective entrepreneur. So <clears throat> talk about both aspects of that, if you would. The quick story on, on the previous company, it does, does still exist, but I fully stepped away. So a couple of the other co-founders still run that. It was, you know, started five friends. You start at farmer's markets, as a lot of these food brands do, and kind of iterate your way through farmer's markets, regional stores, and national stores. And where we went was with essentially condiments, so seasoning, sauces, oils, to mostly traditional retail, Whole Foods, Costco, things like that. And a really fun learning curve for us, but honestly, the, the retail space in the US for the grocery stores is very, very challenging for a new brand, right? Very expensive, very slow sales cycles, very old school in terms of we have very little data, in, insights to store, so on and so forth. Just a really challenging space to be. Um, we had a lot of products, margins are compressed with that retail channel and, and so on. So I stepped away and then at Stanford, I, I literally, as most people do in an MBA, took time, reflect, you know, take all the interviews, all the everything you can imagine, and basically realized, I said, I love what I was doing, but we built a very complex small business. Um, I think food, though, has enormous opportunity. So how do you kind of meld those two things and make the opportunity as large, but we also need it to be easier to attack, right? We can't spend years and years and a lot of capital to try and prove it. So I quite literally wrote a laundry list of what makes the food industry hard. And it's things like high minimums on production, horrendous payment terms with retailers, expensive shipping, so on and so forth. Quite literally a laundry list of 20 items and said, if we're going to start a new food brand, it needs to solve every single one of these or I'm not doing it. <laughs> and that was literally before Proper Good had even products, we had a business model. So I would say we put as much effort into capital efficiency, business model planning, as we did into the actual product. So yeah, trying to, trying to approach it in a little bit more kind of first principles way, as opposed to just kind of entrepreneurial, you know, product driven. And that's one of the things that uh, resonated for us, right? You know, when entrepreneurs meet funds, there's always this sort of a bit of first date awkwardness. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? I'm not sure if I'm going to talk to you about mine and you're not going to, you know, but in our case, we develop rather specific points of view on areas we care about. We cared about food. Why do we care about food? Because we focus on individuals and happiness and health and long life. And food is central to that, not only in terms of calories and taste and satisfaction, but being seen as the beginning of uh, sort of food is mood, food is uh, medicine, a whole range of things. And we're interested in consumer goods for the same reason, but looking at a lot of them, our process probably a little bit similar to yours, the laundry list entrepreneur focused on control and understanding the nuance of the interaction. Mm -hmm. So if you'd come to us with this product and said, and I'm going through 
Safeway and Vans, we almost certainly would have said, that sounds really interesting. Why don't you come back when you pull that off and (laughs) we'll see how you're doing. But it wasn't the case here. It was all that work that you've done, not only on the broth, but on how you were going to get to market and how you were going to understand every aspect of interaction with the customers and all the work you've done. We felt that you had built the market-facing infrastructure for a much bigger company than you were today. And that is you'd be prepared to handle that growth, maximize it and grow even faster. And that's a large reason why we invested. No, it's interesting. Actually, that came up a lot in the conversations I know with um, yourself and kind of popcorn around the team from the marketing to the investment team and that that sort of stuff came up a lot. And I think it it was interesting because not many people ask those questions. Actually, a lot of people focus on the product, but you guys were very much more interested in scalability and actually thinking through the business model, which I appreciated because honestly, as you alluded to, we spent months planning this of how do we go from, you know, 200,000 meals to 20 million meals? How do we do that feasibly? Because especially in food and beverage, growth can kill a lot of companies, right? Like you suddenly get a huge PO with Costco, you can't fulfill or something like that. And growth is actually a problem, which is a strange one to have. So we wanted to make sure we, we, we wouldn't have that from day one. Right. Well, exactly. And that's what was impressive because, of course, we're interested in those big numbers. We we yeah. want companies that are big, that touch a lot of lives, that have a big impact, that become as central to uh, life as, uh, you know, I grew up a long time ago when Swanson frozen dinners were the sort of sure. same sure. kind of thing. Every household had them and everybody used them. And they were considered uh, for their time sort of miraculous in that you could have a meal in front of a kid like me in minutes, we think the potential is there for the same kind of uh, dramatic universal expansion of new kinds of food. And and even in this space between, is it a grocery experience or a dining out experience or a dining in experience? And it's like, yeah, it's kind of the successor to all of those. Exactly. It's hard to pinpoint that because yeah, everyone shops in a grocery store, obviously. No one is, well, most people aren't 100% online. But shopping in a grocery store, especially with some of the needs you've just said, if you know, health focused or diet focused or whatever your needs are, you go to your run of your meal grocery store and try and shop plant based. It's incredibly right. difficult to do. Meanwhile, online, we have that ability to educate the consumer, build a relationship and understand their journey. I think we found a lot of people maybe come to us looking for plant based, but they do that for three months and then they're interested right. in gluten free or, or ketogenic. And I think being able to work with people through their food journeys is is a really exciting one, both for us as a company and just for them because we can provide solutions, which is which is fun. Yeah, and at least here, I'm in the Bay Area right now, there's a lot of interest among folks in the provenance of their food, but you sort of often face that, you have the provenance of the food, you have the availability of the food. Mm-hmm. So you go down to the farmer's market and the peaches are there when the peaches are there and the <laughs> corn is there when the corn is there. But if you actually want to know where the corn came from, there's going to be a lot of time during the year, no corn. And so the ability with the shelf stable to sort of create a bit of a natural phase ship where the food's available when you want it to be available, but you know what's in it, you know where it came from. You can trust exactly. you, you can trust the company, you know the experience is what you want and need. We think that there is a lot of interest in the rising adult population on their own behalf, on behalf of their kids, even on behalf of their pets, uh, yeah, to have sure. that known experience in uh, in food. Yeah, no, the, the pet one's an interesting note. There's a, honestly similar trends to the human side, right? It's yeah. people want transparency, they want brands they can trust, they want ingredients they can pronounce, they want consistency they can count on. That's the same for whether it's a pet or a, or a, you know, a child, it's, it's the same thing. 
So you're starting with these sort of soupy, you know, in a yep. package uh, kind of things. So are you the soup king? Uh, if you're not the soup king five years from now, what are you? Are you, yeah. you know, you dominating the pantry or uh, where do you want this to go? Sure. Yeah. No, very, very fair question. So I think, um, you know, the go to market was definitely soup. You know, we had to start somewhere as a, as a small company with limited resources. It was how can we prove this idea for premium shelf stable items, right? We have a transparent pack format. It's a very unique pack format. It's a very different visual for most people. Soup in itself is, is an interesting opportunity. But we wanted to start there. Let's see, can we prove that that price point and quality and so forth? And But the vision for the company has always been what we can do in our pouch format for soup, we can do for pretty much all meal occasions, right? Whether that's similar sort of dinner of things, chilies, you know, other things in that category, or right vertical from breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're talking you know, oatmeals, grain bowls, breakfast bowls, things like that. We can do all of that in the exact same format under the same brand. So for you as a consumer coming to the website, right now it's primarily soups, chilies, and bone broths, but very soon you'll have a lot of other options across breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you can come in, you can subscribe, and suddenly you can get you know three soups, two lunch items, two breakfast items, and something else. And that is a very easy mix and match platform for you as a consumer. And it's fun for us to obviously keep the categories interesting. You remove some of the seasonality elements, you remove some of the other challenges by offering really a true meals platform is, is where we're going. That makes a lot of sense. And it may tie in to another shift we're seeing, which is folks living small and living mm -hmm. flexible. So you could have kind of a premium gourmet-esque self-controlled food experience without a full-fledged kitchen. Correct. 100%. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. And and we're starting to see more of that as uh, lifestyles are starting to change and you want to be most of the week in a city near things you want to do, but maybe you can't afford the full thing. So, and here you go and you don't want to eat out as much. But so is this always going to be in the home? In terms of the use education? Or? Yeah. I mean, could you yeah. ever imagine this being a uh, you know, uh, a kiosk or bone broth at the ballpark or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a really issue, right? So right now, you know, 90% plus of our sales are direct to consumer and most of our customers use it in the home. But what's really cool though, is especially as, as COVID starts to ease up, we're seeing a lot more people use it for work, especially at work. It's incredibly difficult to eat, right? Delivery every day can be expensive. Going to your local right. grocery store, you don't really know what you're eating in a lot of the hot bars. So having this with you in a bag because it's shelf stable solves a big problem. So for people currently are mostly using it at home, but as we're starting to see the world open back up, where we're seeing from all of our surveys, more and more people taking it on the go, taking it to work for that lunch meal. And, and kiosk is an interesting one, especially in vending machines as well. Again, with our, our pack format, you know, there's no reason you couldn't have vending machines of high quality shelf stable right. foods in hospitals, in truck stops and things like that. There's no reason you can't really get meals to where people need them, which is in a, in a lot of occasions out of the home. Right. right. And in other countries, I mean, Japan, yeah. a pretty good example. There are vending machines for almost everything, almost everywhere. So what are your aspirations beyond the U.S., if any? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a fun, big question, I would say. So right now, yeah, we are 100% U.S., um, other than the odd, the odd few order. And 
I think the biggest challenge for us is not market capability externally. It's just building resources to do that, right? Shipping food internationally has different food labeling laws pretty much everywhere you go, different language laws, so on and so forth. But if we can get over that in a, in a nice kind of frictionless way, there's certainly a ton of opportunity. I was speaking with a friend uh, last week who runs a, a shelf-stable beverage company in India. Obviously, an enormous mm. population. They have a much-reduced refrigerated supply chain in terms right. of trucking. Our type of meals that can get people the right calorific need, the right nutritional need in a shelf-stable format would be an incredibly interesting opportunity. And there's nothing like what we're doing currently in India. And that's just one example, right? And if we, if we take that across the world, I think there is, is tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, Shelf-stable, clean meals is pretty much a white space in most places. There's some pockets of success. But if we can take that and scale it in the US, I think, yeah, there's, there's certainly limitless international opportunity is the short answer. <laughs> so a year from now, if we did this again, uh, what will we be talking about? What will you be doing? What will be the issues in front of the company uh, next year, yep. do you think? I think this time next year, when you when you check out the website, you would certainly not position us as a soup company. You would truly see that we are providing meal solutions across the different time of day and across the different lifestyle needs. I think the biggest challenge we will face at that point is knowing where to go next from a direction in the market, right? Do we go into select retail? Do we stick to D to C sales? Do we look at some wholesale opportunities? Do we look at Canada, Mexico, and so forth? Obviously, there's, especially as entrepreneurs, there tends to be a shiny object syndrome of, oh, we can right. do this, we can do this. What should we do? And in what kind of sequence should we do that? And how much capital do we need to do that? I think will be some exciting forks in the road, but obviously some big decisions. And if those decisions are wrong, I can have some ramifications. But um, I would say, yeah, I think next year will be truly a, a meals company and deciding how to truly scale that, you know, because we're only 15 months old even now. You right. know, we're, we're very, very new. Got it. Well, look forward to having that conversation then. Uh, we could go on for much longer, but we should probably leave it there for now. Delighted. Sure to be investors, delighted to be getting to know you, delighted to have the food on the shelf and can't wait to see what happens uh, next. Wonderful. I look forward to chatting again. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.